0: Good morning. Thank you for being here today. and Good morning to those of you who have tuned in online. Thank you for joining us for worship today. Testimonies are powerful stories, aren't they? When you get to hear someone's testimony, it's always something special to sit back and to listen to what people say about their relationship with God. And one of the reasons testimonies are so powerful is because they're not based on hearsay they're based on personal experience. Leonard Ravenhill said, "A man with an experience of God is never at the mercy of a man with an argument, and we have an experience with God, that story, that testimony is powerful and if you're a Christian, you really have two different kinds of testimonies. first is the story of how God st- stepped into your life and changed your life through his son it 's a It's a direct story about the indisputable, life-changing power of the gospel. And many of you have that kind of a story. For some of you, it's a dramatic story. For some, it's like me, and it was just a story of how God changed my life when I was 11 years old. It wasn't a dramatic thing, but but just as well, uh, it's just as much impactful as any other testimony. It really is a story about the life-changing power of the gospel. Because for many of you, there was an old you was called up in sin and didn't know God, and then God stepped into your life and He changed your life, and now there is a new you. You've been changed by the mercy and the goodness of God. I love to hear those kind of testimonies. I love to hear those kind of stories because they're so amazing, and you can glorify God in by telling the story of how He changed your life. That's the first kind of testimony, A story of salvation. Second kind of testimony is the story of how God has worked in your life And met your needs since you got saved. Some of you have a story of how you encountered God when you needed him most. That God stepped into your life at a time when you needed him most. At a crisis time in your life. That God stepped in and he intervened and he met needs in your life. Some of you have those kind of stories. In fact, I wish you could have listened in on the phone conversation I had last night. A phone conversation with Kathy Burdett. Some of you know this and many of you perhaps do not, but... Keith and Kathy Burdett are in Montana, and this week, while in Montana, Keith had two strokes this week. The blockages were at the base of his brain, and the good news is he was actually released from the hospital yesterday, and Keith and Kathy will be flying home on Tuesday. He still has a lot of therapy in front of him. He still has a lot to do to get better, but thank the Lord he's on the right Right road, and and in fact, when he checked out of the hospital, the doctor called him Mister Miracle Man. Said he had never seen anybody recover from two strokes, two blockages like that in the back of his brain so quickly. Had never seen such recovery in his life. And Kathy, as she was talking to me on the phone last night, describing this ordeal, through she again and again and again talked about how God met need after need after need in that whole experience this week. How God. Intervened, and it was a very scary time, and yet God intervened. And in fact, she asked me to say to you, for those of you who knew about it, thank you for your prayers, that God did indeed answer your prayers. And she, her last words were something like this, God intervened and helped Keith. Now, some of you have a story like that. You've got a testimony like that, where you were at your weakest, and God gave you strength. You were at your saddest, and God gave you comfort. You were at your lowest and God gave you hope. You were scared and God gave you peace. It's always good to be able to recall what God has done. It's always good to be able to pause and to thank God and give Him glory for the way He's intervened in your life. Your story, your testimony, is evidence and a reminder that God is real and that God is active in our world. So today, we're going to start a brand new series called My God. In this series, we're going to look at the stories, the testimonies of people who had first-hand encounters with God. This is not going to be hearsay. These are going to be the testimonies, the stories of people who had first-hand encounters with God. And I want to begin today by going to Psalm 63. Psalm 63 just going to read verse 1, and just the first half of verse 1, actually, the first line of Psalm 63, really was the inspiration for the entire series. David said in Psalm 63, Oh God, you are my God. If you have a pen or pencil handy, you might want to underline that phrase, my God. Now, don't be misled by that phrase, my God. David was not saying, God belongs to me. David was saying, I belong to God. He's my God. I I don't belong... uh, He doesn't belong to me. I belong to Him. So in this series, we're going to focus on testimonies or stories of people who have a real relationship with God. And perhaps some of you here today or those watching online, you may not realize it, but you can have an absolutely real personal relationship with Almighty God. And let me show you why I say that. If you pause for a moment... You're in Psalm 63. Would you put something there and go over to Psalm 100? Another Psalm that David wrote. I just want to look at one verse where David emphasizes his relationship with God. His personal relationship with God. David said in Psalm 100, verse 3, these words. Know that the Lord is God. It is He who made us and we are His. We are His people the sheep of His pasture. If you still have that pen or pencil, let me give you another phrase to underline. In Psalm 100 verse 3, I would ask you to underline these words, we are His. That's a beautiful phrase. We are His. Know that the Lord is God. It is He who made us, and we are His. We are His people, the sheep of His pasture. I would like for you just to pause for a moment and say that phrase with me. We are His. Would you say that together? We are His. You did great, but would you do it just one more time? We are His. Know that the Lord is God. It is He who has made us. And we are His. Let me help you understand that your life matters. Because we are His. You have worth because we are His. You are loved because we are His. Now, like you, I've got a lot of relationships in my life. I am a son and I'm a brother. I'm a husband and a dad. I'm a grandfather and I'm a pastor. I've got a lot of relationships in my life, and and those relationships have worked together to shape me and to make me the man that I am. But I want you to hear me clearly. The defining relationship of my life is my relationship with God. That is the relationship who has shaped me the most. That relationship with God made possible through the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, when you belong to God, you are His child, and He is your Father. Hear me over or listening uh, those listening online when you belong to God when you can say we are his you are emphasizing that you are his child and he is your father now pastor keith practically speaking what are the implications of having that kind of relationship with God what are the practical implications of saying we are his david answers that for us in the rest of verse 3 in psalm 100 he said it is He who has made us and we are His. Then He goes on to explain it. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. I remember in the past when I've had to take my kids to the doctor or to the hospital. And whenever you take your kids to the doctor or the hospital, especially the hospital, there's lots of forms you've got to fill out, Right? Form after form after form after form. Like when Lauren broke her arm, took her to the hospital years ago. All kinds of forms. But there's one question on the form. It doesn't matter if you go to the doctor or the hospital, there's always this one question. It may be worded differently, but it's always the same question. It's always there. And the question is, who is the responsible party? Translation. Who's going to pay for this? Right? Who's responsible... For this bill. And I always put my name of course on that line. Because I am their father. That means I am responsible for them. Can I say to you that when you give your life to God through Jesus Christ. He assumes the responsibility for your life. You become his responsibility. That's what it means. We are His. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. And if you could just learn one thing today. If you could just remember one thing when you go home today. I would want you to remember this. When Jesus Christ is your personal Savior. You can say with confidence. I belong to God. And that makes all the difference in the world. That is a life shaping statement. I belong to to God, That is a faith building statement to say I belong to God. That, that is a life altering statement when you can say I belong to God. When you understand the ramifications of that statement. When you understand the importance of that testimony. It really becomes a liberating faith building moment. When you can say with all certainty. Regardless of what I'm facing in life. Regardless of what I'm experiencing in life. I know this. I belong to God. Big Daddy Weave is a Christian group. And they have a song that that literally, the title of the song is, I belong to God. And a couple of lines in the song says, I will say to the darkness, you don't own me anymore. I belong to God. I love that line. I will say to the darkness, you don't own me anymore. I belong to God. Then the very last line of that song is my favorite. The very last line says, Now everything within me knows that I belong to God. And that's what I want for you. That's my desire for you. I want you to be able to say, Everything within me knows that I belong to God. So we come to Psalm 63, and in Psalm 63, David has absolute certainty that he belongs to God. Going back to Psalm 63, here's how David describes it. Read again in verse 1. O God, you are my God. Not that you belong to me, but I belong to you. O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land. Where there is no water. I would like to walk with you through Psalm 63. And and help you understand what it means. To say you belong to God. What does that mean practically in your life and in mine? I want to give you three things today to help you understand this phrase. I belong to God. Number one. Belonging to God does not mean that life will be free of problems. Belonging to God does not mean that life will be free of problems. Problems. In fact, if you look at Psalm 63, if your Bible has any kind of headings right below the the chapter number, it probably says something like mine does. My Bible says, a psalm of David when he was in the desert of Judah. Maybe you see that in your Bible too. Let me give you the background behind Psalm 63. Many scholars believe that this psalm was written as David was hiding at a place called En Gedi. Now the reason he was hiding was that his son Absalom was trying to kill him. And the reason that his son was trying to kill him was because his son wanted to take the throne and be king. And he didn't want David to somehow return and take over. And so Absalom was chasing his father to kill him to ensure that Absalom could be king and have the throne. You can read about it in 2 Samuel 15 and chapters 16. And the Bible says that David ran for his life, that he literally ran out of Jerusalem. And he ran down the mountain and he went to the Dead Sea area, which is a desert area. All that is there is the Dead Sea and desert and rocky, barren mountains. Most scholars believe that it was in that area, a place called En where David stopped and wrote this psalm. Now, I've been to En and the very first time I went to En it was 113 degrees the day I got off the bus. It was hot, of course. It was dry. It was barren. It was not the kind of place that you want to hang out very long. And that was probably the place where David was hiding. in Gedi. In other words, this was not a good place. Nor was it a good time in his life. In the midst of this very trying desert experience, where he was running for his life and running from his own family, David was physically, emotionally, and spiritually depleted. And David began to have a thirst, an unquenchable thirst in the desert. But it was not a thirst for water. It was an unquenchable thirst for God. Look how David describes it in verse 1. He uses the metaphor of water... To describe his thirst for God. Verse 1. O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Now, do you see the word earnestly? At least in the NIV. Earnestly I seek you. That word earnestly in some translations is translated early. Early will I seek you. To seek someone early does suggest doing so earnestly there's some discussion among bible translators really what that hebrew word means and, and in fact some of the translations do use the word early will i seek you to such a degree that in the early church they read this psalm every morning that was the way they started their day was reading or memorizing and quoting psalm 63 now david betrayed by his own son exiled from his throne humiliated in the desert out of this awful experience, expressed his desire for God when he said, earnestly or early I seek you. In other words, in this desert place, in this barren place, David came to the realization, the one thing I need more than anything is God. The one relationship I need more than any other relationship It's God. And so he goes on to describe it this way. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. I'm not seeking what you can do for me. God, I am seeking you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Now, Let me tell you something. It'd be nice if we could say, God, because I belong to you, I'm sure glad that I'm exempt from that kind of thing. Because I know God, I would prefer to be able to bypass the desert times in my life. How about you? I mean, Would you prefer to bypass cancer? Would you prefer to bypass those financial difficulties? Would you prefer to bypass having a stroke in the middle of Montana? Absolutely. We all would. But since I belong to God, even if I have a stroke in the middle of Montana, since I belong to God, even if they say it is cancer, then I can have the confidence that if I belong to Him, that even in those desert places like in Getty, nothing will satisfy my soul like God will. Maybe you're, you're in Getty right now. It's a hard time for you. It's a hard place that you find yourself living in. And you know what I found out is interesting. A lot of the hard times of the crisis moments do involve our families, don't they? In one way or another. A lot of times, the, the greatest pain in our life, the greatest heartbreak in our life, the greatest struggles in our life, in one way or another, many times, involves our families. That was David at En And in that hard time and in that dry place, David learned that nothing could quench his thirst. Like God could. Or maybe it's not a crisis time that you find yourself in. Maybe it's just life that has drained you. You say, Pastor Keith, I really don't have any crisis right now, but man, I just emotionally, spiritually, I just kind of feel drained. I just feel dead. Just just life has drained me. And David reminds us, and only God can refresh you. Only God. Let's read it one more time, please. Verse 1, then we'll go on. Oh God... You are my God, and earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. I belong to to God. Number two, belonging to God gives you reasons to worship Him. Now listen, if you haven't heard anything else, I want you to focus on verses 2 through 5. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. Someone has said that we need high moments with God, which we can recall in the low moments of life. Verse 2, exiled and alone, David could remember seeing God's power and God's glory displayed back in Jerusalem. He, I call it those sanctuary memories. Those sanctuary memories. When you remember other times of when you were with God and when God was close to you and when God, just that worship just seemed so special. Those sanctuary memories sustained him in the desert. Look how he describes it in verse 2. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. There in in Gedi, in the desert, David remembered the glory and the power of God he had once known. And then he gives us some reasons why we can praise God, even at a place like in Gedi. First of all, number one, we can praise God because of His love. Verse three, because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I want to tell you something. You can say that to God regardless of what you're going through right now. Look at it again. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. This might be a crisis time for you. It may be a crisis time for you and your family. It might be a time where you don't have a lot of answers. It might be a time where you say, I don't understand why life has exploded like it has. But... Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. Because let me tell you something in the New Testament. Paul said, what can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus? He goes on to describe all these things. And the conclusion is, nothing can separate us. And David came to that conclusion too. In the deserts of Engedi, David stood there and he said, My lips will praise you even though I'm in a hard place. I'm going through a bad time. And even if life has just drained you, and just spiritually you're dry and depleted, how do you get back? Sometimes you've got to praise your way out of your problems. My lips will glorify you because of your love. And then he goes on and tells us another way we can worship God. We can praise God because of His name. Verse 4, I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. Would you do me a favor? I don't want to make you feel uncomfortable, but it, I'm not going to... Do anything bad. I just want you to lay your Bible down for a moment. And would you just lift up your hands for a second? I haven't done this in any other service. I probably should have. Just lift up your hands, hold them up for just a minute. And let me read this to you again. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name, I will lift up my hands. Now I'm going to ask you to keep them up for just a minute because when you lift up your hands, you're saying to God, I surrender. When you lift up your hands, you're saying to God, you're greater than I am. When you lift up your hands, you're saying you deserve the honor and the glory. And David said, I'm, I'm in the desert. I'm in a hard place at a hard time. But I'm going to lift up my hands and I'm going to praise you. And can I say something to you? You can do that tomorrow regardless of what's happening in your life. You can lift up your hands and you can praise God. Okay, put them down. Get tired, didn't it? We can also praise God because he satisfies Look at verse 5. My soul will be satisfied as with the riches of food. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. My soul is satisfied like the riches of foods. And then I want you to notice this aspect of praise and worship again. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. Notice that David repeatedly emphasizes the vocal and the physical dimensions of praising God. The vocal and the physical dimensions of worship. That's simply an outward symbol of what God is doing inwardly in your life. My lips will praise you. I'll lift my hands. It's an outward way of symbolizing, demonstrating what God's doing in your life. Perhaps we just need to be a little bit more expressive in our praise. Letting our lips praise Him and our hands be raised to say, God, I found in You what I could not find anywhere else. And You have satisfied my soul and You deserve my worship. Which brings me to the third point about belonging to God. Number three, belonging to God gives you someone to cling to. Belonging to God gives you someone to cling to. David describes it this way in verses 6-8, through On my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night because you are my help. I sing in the shadow of your wings. My soul clings to you. You might want to underline that one too. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. I don't know if you've been struggling lately, but if you have been struggling, if there's some kind of crisis in your family, in your life, you probably would say, you know, the worst time of the day, the worst time of the day is the nighttime. Because it's in the nighttime when it's dark and everybody's in their rooms, it's, it's when it's just you and God. And, and at nighttime, you can't sleep because you can't shut your mind off. You can't stop thinking about the problem. You can't stop worrying about him or her. You can't stop in, at nighttime, it's when we struggle the most. At night is when sleep fails. At night is when fear stalks. And it's at night when we should remember God. David said it this way, On my bed I remember you and I think of you through the watches of the night. The word remember means to recall what God has said and done in the the past and apply it to your situation in the present. And when you do that, David goes on to describe how you can rest. Rest. In God's protection and in God's provision. He describes it this way in verse 7. Because you are my help. And again, you might want to underline, you are my help. Because you are my help, I sing in the shadow of your wings. That's God's protection. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. That's God's provision. And I want you to notice the progress that David made in his life and the progress that he made in this psalm. Look at it with me. In verse 1, he says, my, th- my soul thirsts for you. And in verse 5, he says, my soul is satisfied in you, in God. And in verse 8, he says, my soul clings to God. Do you see this progression? Verse 1, my soul thirsts for God. Verse 5, my soul is satisfied in God. Verse 8, my soul clings to God. David understand, understood that when God is all you have, you finally realize that God is all you need. Go back one psalm to Psalm 62. David wrote that psalm as well, and look how he describes God and his soul. Verse 1, Psalm 62, verse 1. My soul finds rest in God alone, that is, exclusively in God. My salvation comes from Him. Verse 5, find rest, O my soul, in God alone. My hope comes from Him. That's why David said in verse 8, my soul clings to you. It's an interesting statement. It means that if I'm clinging to one thing, then there are other things I choose not to cling to. My soul clings to You. I have decided. I'm clinging to You, God. In this dry time in my life, I'm clinging to You. In this difficult place I find myself in, I am clinging to You. And the reason some of you are not satisfied in life is because perhaps you're clinging to the wrong things. And I say to you, with all due respect, there is not a person on planet earth that can give you what God can give you. There's not a person on planet earth that can do for you what God can do for you. Sometimes we have to go through heartbreaking losses before we realize that nothing can take God's place in our lives. And David in the deserts of Engedi, running for his life, hiding, wrote down these words. Oh God, you are my God. I belong to you. I belong to you. I want to encourage you this week to make that your prayer. You are my God. You don't belong to me. But I just want to reaffirm, I belong to you. And so I recognize you have, resumed, you have assumed responsibility for my life. I belong to you. And this, this problem that I'm facing is going to be extremely difficult. And it's scary and it's difficult. But I belong to you. And I don't see an answer. And I don't know the, the, how it's all going to work out. But I do know this. I belong to you. And my soul may be weary and dry and empty, but I still know this. I belong to You. You are my God. I belong to You. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 6, Why are you worried? Why are you worried about what you're going to eat and what you'll put on Because your heavenly Father knows what you need. Because you belong to Him. He has assumed responsibility for your life. So stop fretting, stop worrying. By faith and through worship, say, God, I belong to you. You are my God. I'm yours. Pray about that. Would you join me? Every head bowed, every eye closed, please. If you know Christ as your Savior, you can say those words and mean it. I belong to you. You are my God. If you don't yet know Christ the Savior, those are foreign words to you. That idea that, that your life can belong to God is just very different, isn't it? Maybe you've grown up in a religion, but you've never really understood how you could have a relationship with God. I once went to a conference years ago, I was introduced to a man named Miles. Miles looked like a bouncer at a bar. He was a big man. He had a shaved head. He had a New York accent. He had tattoos all over his arms. And he told me his story, his testimony. Miles said that he had been addicted to alcohol and to drugs and to pornography. But when I was talking to Miles, he was on a church staff helping people who used to be like him. Miles explained to me how Jesus Christ changed his life, he finally found what his soul was searching for. He was searching for it in alcohol, he was searching for it in drugs, he was searching for it in pornography, he could not find what his soul was searching for, and eventually, he found what his soul was searching for in his relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And it changed him forever. And the same thing can happen to you today whether you're watching online or you're here in this building, God can change your life forever. God wants to have a personal relationship with you and He went to great lengths to make that possible. Jesus Christ came and took on flesh. He lived in our world and He died on a cross. Literally died on a cross. Not for anything He had done wrong, but for your sin and for mine. Because our sin is the one thing that gets between us and a a holy God. So, Jesus died to pay the penalty for your sin and mine. And the Bible says that God promises to forgive us, to cleanse us of our sin, if we will by faith believe that Christ died in our place and by faith ask Him into our lives. You can do that right now. Those watching online, you can do that right now. Those here in the building, you can do that right where you are by faith say something like this, Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner and I believe that Jesus Christ lived for me and died in my place. God, my soul has been searching for something. Today I believe I found it in You. So I'm turning away from my sin And I'm trusting in Jesus Christ that He died on the cross to make a relationship with you possible. I'm asking you to forgive me of my sin and come into my life. Make me a new person. And I promise to live for you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.